Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit OutreachChurch.net for downloads and service information. Thanks, Carl. <laughs> he gives the best intros. The early service, I was Shamu. Shamu. Shamu, the, the killer whale at the, what is it called? SeaWorld. I know who he is. I've seen him on TV. He, he was saying I was going to make a big splash. So now I'm a dog with a biscuit on my nose. <laughs> Those are the best introductions I've ever had. <laughs> he was nailing it too because I was sitting there like, I, th- I thought I was going up. <laughs> I almost barked. <laughs> you actually triggered me. He was talking about uh, value. I know we always say, you know, we're, we're not worthy and all that. And that's a catchphrase. Uh, we're not worthy apart from him. We're worthy in him. Like, God never made us to live our life apart from him. So our life is so empty and so lonely without him, without really knowing him. In fact, you can surround yourself with tons of theology and doctrine and still be empty inside. Knowing him is what changes and transforms your life. So what, what no preacher had ever told me growing up in my whole life, nobody ever told me that Jesus died on the cross to redeem my value. They always said he died on the cross because of my sin. It's not a play on words. It's a totally different precept. Watch. He had to die because I sinned. But he didn't die because I was a sinner. He died because something was lost. He wanted to save that which was lost. He died to restore sonship. He paid a price to restore communion and relationship with God. Guys, he didn't die because I'm a sinner. He died to restore the truth in my life. He had to die because I sinned. My sin cost him his life. But there's a higher purpose to his life given than me being forgiven. It's me being restored and transformed. We can't miss that. Watch nobody. Who pays a high price for nothing? Who pays a high price for nothing? I know us guys. We're bargain hunters. We're shoppers. We're like, you ladies are amazing. And you come home and say, look what I saved. And sometimes the husband's like, yeah, okay, praise the Lord. But, but then the guys, they go to buy the car, and they, they know, they, they blue booked it, they did everything. And they know the car's worth ten five. And 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 the guy has his sticker on, and we're still trying to get him to 9-2. Am I being serious? And when, with the bottom line is when you write the check, guess what you believe? What you're getting in return is the purchase possession is well worth the price that you paid. And if you didn't think it had the value, you would not pay the price. And he shed his blood, the blood of his son for us. He must think a lot of who we can be and what we're created to be and what we're called to be. He believes his death is worth you living. To me, that speaks of value not worthlessness. And I grew up in circles growing up. That would be heresy, blasphemy. That would be, and it's amazing how we think because that truth is what ignites my heart and gives me confidence before God because now I really see how he sees me. So he doesn't see me for the things I've failed in. He sees me for what I'm created for. He doesn't see me for how I've messed up and the wrong things I've done in my life. He's not looking at the track record of that. He's looking at my potential, my purpose, and my destiny. And he believes it's worth paying for. So make no mistake about it. The cross of Jesus Christ reveals your value and shows you that your life's worth living in him and that he thinks a lot of who he is in you and who you are in him or he would have never paid the blood of his son. Yeah? And honestly, you young folks, honestly, I don't know how I'd have responded when I was your age, when I was in my teens, my 20s. But I wish I'd had a chance to hear that when I was that age. Because nobody ever told me what I travel all over the country preaching. Nobody ever told me. Not one preacher ever told me in my life what I travel and preach. And I just know this from age 33 to 56. It's been like a dream. And life is a gift and it's fun every day. No matter what I'm faced with. No matter what's going on in my family. No matter what challenges there are. I never lose sight of this highest truth. So I'm going to live my life from this place. And see through this place. And then my life will always respond in him. Yeah? It's just good. And you talked about righteousness a little bit. 
and or justice and fairness. I want to make this comment because it came on my heart and I felt like I wanted to address it. Because it makes you think when you hear somebody talk like that. Hmm, justice, fairness. Jesus rules his kingdom with a scepter of righteousness. Righteousness is way different than rightness. Rightness, being right. God didn't come in rightness. He came in righteousness. There's a big difference. See, if you're sitting in right, rightness, which is what all of us grew up in. Well, he said, well, they shouldn't. Well, how come? Well, I wouldn't be mad if they didn't. That's rightness. And when you live in rightness, all you're doing is exposing what's wrong, and it's always wrong. And you're always right. Sometimes you can get so right that you become everything wrong. You get so right that your heart gets hard. You get so right that your attitude shifts. You get so right you get arrogant and proud. You get so right you just expose wrong, wrong, wrong. That is not why Jesus came. That's not how God functions. He functions in rightnesses. What's the difference? Righteousness gives the ability, the permission, the space for wrong things to become right. He makes wrong things right. He rules his kingdom with a scepter of righteousness. So you come to Jesus repentant at some point in your life. You've made mistakes. You've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You kneel before him and say, man... I just worship you. I see you as Lord and I give my life to you. You kneel before him. He comes over and he takes his scepter of righteousness in a sense. It's how you can just see this. And he knights you and dubs you with righteousness and causes you to rise up and stand before him as if you've always been right. That's way different than right wrong. Righteousness is a way different place, and we're called to live in righteousness. We're called to, he rules his kingdom in the scepter of righteousness. We're called to live in righteousness. Two uses of righteousness in the New Testament. The one sense is the ability given by God to stand right in his sight without any sense, without any sense of guilt, condemnation, or shame. I don't think this house is missing that at large. The body of Christ, we've missed that terribly. We, 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 we get, get alone and we get self-conscious. We get alone with him and we feel like we got to take 20 minutes to get through ourselves to even get to him. It's not good. If you're living that way, you're not going to live in righteous consciousness every day. Now, here's the cool thing. When I wake up in righteousness in the morning and understand that he loves me and he sees me through his son, I'm going to start my day in the place he created me to start. I'm not trying to gain anything, win anything, earn anything. I'm just starting in him. So I present my members as instruments of righteousness. And I wake up in the morning right in the sight of God. So all of a sudden I have nothing to prove. I've become something in him. So now all my doing flows out of a healthy identity. I'll never strive and I'm never less than and I'm never sold short. Are you following me? So living in righteousness is a really big deal. It's living without any sense of guilt condemnation or shame before God. You know how many people don't feel like they're worthy? You know how many people don't feel like they can just approach him freely? I said last night, confidence isn't equal to arrogance. We have to stop thinking confidence is pride. It says come boldly into the throne room of grace. You could actually take that the word confident and put it there and it would be the same. It doesn't say presumptuously or arrogant. Come boldly into the throne room of grace into God's presence and receive mercy and help in a time of need. Why? Because you see Jesus sitting there. He's a high priest. He's at the right hand of God mediating on behalf of men. So I have total access to God through Jesus Christ and I have confidence before him. Does that make sense? It'd be really a big deal to wake up like that. It'd be a big deal to live that way because then you're going to grow close to him and that intimacy with him. This is what I've learned. People that don't feel good about themselves or don't see clear how God sees them don't have a close relationship with God. They just live by the things they know about him or try to, but they never really get close to him. Are you with me? It's, it's really, really important what I'm saying. Knowing him is what transforms your life, not knowing about him. In fact, you can know so much about him and it not become your expression in your life and actually what you know starts to work against you and condemn you and judge you for where you're not. You with me? Like knowledge can puff you up, love edifies. Like if you don't see yourself clear and see how he sees you, you won't grow close to him and have intimacy with him. You won't have the veil lifted. You won't just walk in a bedroom and be very God conscious and aware of his presence and 
I just thank you, Father, and just talk to him like he's sitting right there in the room, like he's right inside of you. Like, I've learned this. I, I, I've just learned this. There's, would, you, would you ever drive? Would we just get in a car and take a trip? You, you've been a driver. Would we just drive for 50 miles, you and me, together, and not talk? Well, I know not, because I'd be in the car. <laughs> but I can't speak for you, but I doubt that you would just sit and drive 50 miles and not talk at all. Right? If we were together. Why do we do it with the Lord all the time? People drive a long way and they'll have music playing about him. They'll have messages talking about him. If they have that. But they'll drive and he's in the car. He's with you. And maybe not even commune or have a heart activity, a heart expression or a heart exchange. Because that's where you get to know him. You see what I'm saying? But I know people do it all the time. And they'll have music playing about him. And teachings talking about him. And never actually have a, a heartfelt, God, I so appreciate that's the way you see me. And you're driving in the teachings plane. It's not wrong to listen to teaching, but it's personal. You respond, wow, Father, that's incredible. You accomplished that. That's exactly where I'm at right now. Man, I just renounced those things yesterday. In fact, nobody owes me a thing. Thank you, Holy Spirit. You're working with me now. Keep your eyes on where you're driving. And you're just communicating with God, right? Here's the principle. Chad and I, we're, we're just meeting. We're just connecting. We're getting hooked up this afternoon. We'll spend a little time together, okay? So I really don't know Chad. Really. I just met him. I know his name. Right? But if we spend a couple of days together, if we spent a week together and drove 50 miles a day back and forth, at the end of that week, you'd say, hey, do you know Chad? I could honestly say, man, yeah, I know Chad. And I could say it with heart. I could say it with meaning. Why? Because I've been with him. Now, you could talk to me about Chad for a whole week, and you could tell me good things, and I could feel like I know him. Until I've been in the car and hung out and we spent a week together, I can't tell you I know him. And you could tell me so much about him that I could stand up here and rehearse what you said and probably talk a few minutes about him and be legit. You could read your Bible and talk about God all day until you get alone with him and you be with him and seek him in that secret place and let who he is begin to bear witness to your heart and start revealing himself to you. And there's a fullness that comes. There's a knowing that comes. Man, there's an understanding that comes that is second to none. Guys, none of us want to live without that. And he opened that door wide through righteous judgment. And through sending his son and bringing the best out in us by giving his best. And never changing his mind because of love. So let's just settle this, this age-old question in the church. Why would God love us so much? And why would he send his son to die for us? And we think there's no way to explain this love. It's simple. I got it 23 years ago. The lights came on. He loves me because he sees me always for who he created me to be. He doesn't see me for sin. He sees me for creative value and purpose. Jesus came to become what I was so I could become what he is, a son. He loves me. His love's not selfish. It's not self-seeking. I didn't hurt his heart. I didn't break his heart. I didn't make him angry. He hurt for me. Because the whole time he knew I was so much more than what I understood. And the whole time he knew I could be so much more than I ever thought I was. So when you see Jesus, you see the Father. He said, I only say what the Father's saying. When he's hanging on the cross, who do you think's talking? Who's inspiring Jesus' words? Forgive them, Father. They know not. Right there you see how God sees you. And he says, man, if you really had a revelation, you wouldn't be where you've been. If you really had an understanding, if you really were in the light and knew and walked in the light as I'm in the light, you wouldn't have said what you said, did what you did, or been where you've been. Man, I love you. You're so much more. If I could send the light of the world and turn the light on, I could expose darkness and bring you into the light, and you could be mine. That is such a big deal. And it is so much more than a theological prayer that qualifies you for heaven someday. So thank God he sent his son and forgave you. And let's keep trying our best because one day he's coming and we want to be in that number. Come on, that's like a bummer to me. That's like that. That is a pale expression of the gospel anymore. I'm like, what were we thinking? That's all I was told when I grew up. I was told he died on the cross because you're a sinner. You need to be forgiven because you want to go to heaven and make sure you stay in church. And I'm like, seriously, as a little guy, I'm thinking, whoa. 
And you get compelled. It's obligatory. It's not relational. It has nothing to do with love. I have people that say, I don't know if Dan believes in hell. Dan never talks about hell. I wonder if he's one of these guys that doesn't believe hell exists. I never talk about hell because that's never your motivation for relationship. Preachers that preach say, say you have a heaven to gain the hell to shun, it's way out of bounds for me. Jesus did not use hell as the motive to get men's hearts to change. You with me? Look, if I can talk you into something, you can get talked out of it. I'm not trying to compel you through emotion. I'm not going to preach some hell and brimstone and fire thing and get you up here trembling and shaking and scared half to death. I'm not going to scare the hell out of you. I'm going to preach the goodness of God because it leads men to repentance. Watch this. These hardcore people that say, well, it ain't all about love. It's about judgment too. You can't show me one scripture that says the judgment of God leads men to change. Not one. Now, you can find a lot of Old Testament judgment scriptures. That is life apart from God and life apart from the blood. You can show me tons of judgment scriptures and try to make that my father. But I'm not going to be tricked. But you can't show me one scripture that says the judgment of God and the reprimand of God leads men to change. You can't show me one. You hear that challenge in my voice? I read the book. You can't show me. And the people that are pushing that thing are almost angry and frustrated, having struggles a lot of times. I've been alone with people that have pushed some of those things on me. They're mad at me while they're saying it. They just as soon ax me off because I won't agree. <sighs> when you see what you believe and what it produces in your life and see the, see the fruit that it produces, you'll see the fingerprints that are behind it. You'll know if something comes from God if it's producing life. If it's not producing life, it's not from him. I just had somebody again last week say that I don't believe in hell. I never preach about hell from the pulpit in the sense of trying to get men to convert because of the fear of hell or the reality of hell. It's not in my conviction. It's not how I know the Lord. It's not how he brought me in. He didn't scare me with hell to get me to him. He told me that he loved me and that I didn't know he was real. And if I would ever know he was real, my life would be changed. He came to me after 13 years of not even thinking about him and living really seriously selfish. And he came to work one night and said, you don't even know if God's real. And I thought it was my mind. Isn't it amazing? He didn't say, I haven't seen you in church for a while, brother. Hey, when's the last time you read your Bible, man? I don't recall you in the files praying lately. He said, you don't even know if God is real. God reality will transform your life. And you'll never get to know him unless you put yourself with him. You can seek him in the, in the corporate setting, in the corporate worship, and you can brush against God now and then or just try to connect with God there. But I tell you what, when you get alone, you seek him in the secret. You just shut off all your technology. You just turn off everything and just go take a walk. Close the door. Just start spending time. Just start talking, opening your heart, sharing with God your desire to know him. And God, I want to be more like you. And I'm asking you to reveal yourself. You start seeking him like that, you will find him. Yeah? It's life changing. It's so exciting to me. I just, you know, the biscuit is not on my nose anymore. I'm so happy. So happy. Why is all this important? Because without this intimacy, without this relationship, our lives won't be transformed like it could. Why is that so important? Because if not, you could never bear fruit and bear witness of him. And we're the body of Christ. We're the body of Christ. Watch. We're the go-to people. We're God's choice. We're the roster of heaven. We're the team of God. Like we're the best he's got to manifest him and make him known. Like if Jesus said to follow me and the things I do, you'll do. If he said when they see me, they see him. We ought to say when you see me, you see him. When Jesus says, the rule of this world cometh and has nothing in me, we should say he cometh and has nothing in me. Why? Because I denied myself. He has nothing to work with anymore. He's not going to play me with self-centeredness. He's not going to play me with notoriety and reputation and trying to feel like somebody and fame. And, ah! Right? Come on. If you, if you, if you can see it in Jesus' life, you want it in yours. If you can't see it in his life, 
You don't want it in yours. Why? Because he said, follow me. And I was brought up my whole life that that's Jesus and this is us. Anybody have that painted to them when they were growing up? That this is Jesus and face reality, buddy, this is us. And people say, well, that was Jesus. No, that was love. That was your role model. That's who you're created to follow and be in his image and Christ in you, the hope of glory. And as the Father sent me, I send you. And as he is, so are we in this world. And the things I do, you'll do if you believe. Wow, they're all scriptures. I'm convinced. Not going to get tricked anymore. Yeah. Yeah? Come on, I just don't have time to be anything outside of what he paid for. Do you think I'm this passionate? Do you think I believe this and today I'm going to have people issues and he said, well, I feel, well, now I'm not encouraged. I can't believe they did that. <laughs> not today, friend. Tomorrow's not the right day either. It's not going to happen. I'm done with living that way. I'm done with the flesh. I'm done with the wisdom of the world. I'm done with the way that seems right. If it doesn't produce life, it isn't right. See, the last thing you need is a reason to not be like him. The last thing we need is a justification. Yeah, but brother, you need to understand that sometimes... You... Stop. What are you trying to do? Buy time we don't have? Justify what's not justifiable? Just, just go over the facts to give your own conscious permission to be outside of who he created you to be through rightness instead of righteousness? Come on, I'm not going to live that way. I don't want you to either. I want to show you this scripture. This is amazing. Go to 2 Timothy with you. Are you guys okay? I'm not, too, I'm not too intense, right? Okay, good. Like Roy is just such a precious man. He like, I listen to Roy. I listen to a couple messages, Roy, and he's just so gentle. And he's like, I mean, he gets loud and excited, but he talks to so I get passionate. I feel it come on me, and I can't help it. I'm like, sometimes I don't even want it. I'm preaching, my mind's going, really, God, why is it always like this? <laughs> you have no idea. You think, yeah, but brother, you can control. You have no idea, unless you're in my shoes. If, I would like you to try to preach the way it happens to me. Stuff just comes. I can't. It just. I'm sitting there kneeling, and I was sitting and kneeling. I just stayed out of the way of the camera day, so I sat the whole time, just because I didn't want to get in the camera because it's hard. I just sat back. They got a little blue line there for me, but I figured I was going to violate that line, so I just sat in my chair. But usually I'll kneel, and what I say is, Lord. You know I don't have any need to preach in front of these people. I'm not drawing one thing out of this. My identity is secure in you. I would never have to have a microphone another day of my life. And I'm going to walk in love. I'm going to shine. And it's just amazing. Life is a gift, and I'm happy to be alive in you. Yes. I draw zero identity out of what I do. I draw total identity out of who I've become. Because i got to live with me, sleep with me, wake up with me. And I like it now, and I used to not. I love when I wake up and look in the mirror, and it's me. <laughs> and it's not vanity. It's not worldly. It's not weird. It's like, yeah. Why? Because I have a clear conscience. I don't have regrets. I don't have issues. I don't have secrets. So when I look at my eyes, there's nothing to look away from. Nothing to be ashamed of. I love who I've become. I love it. I love sleeping with me, waking up with me, living the day with me. I love it. Because it's him in me now. And I don't have that self-centered little twist and that indignant thing and that gossip and judgmental and that whatever. <laughs> and I would never just come to you and say, hey, you're so awesome, and then walk away and think, oh, brother. I would never do that. I would just look and say, dude, you are awesome. You really are. <laughs> just look in his eyes. You come up and see what I'm seeing. You'll say it, too. You, just, up. you got something in you shiny. Yeah. <laughs> There's something about loving who you've become and seeing how he sees you and loving who you become in him because then you get that same clear view towards everybody else even if they don't get it. Then you're not discouraged by people, frustrated, get under your skin, get on your nerves. No, no, no. I have new skin. I have new nerves. And all of a sudden, I'm not looking at men for them to measure up with my preferences. All of a sudden, I'm actually living from love. And all of a sudden, in their darkest day, I actually see a higher truth for their life. That's why it's easy to love everybody. Forgive them, Father. They don't know what to do. If they really knew who they were, they wouldn't be living that way. 
Why am I going to get mad at you? Why shouldn't I have mercy towards you? Why would I cry because of you? Why wouldn't I cry for you? Why would I get ticked off and antagonized and angry and intolerant and impatient and indifferent? Come on, that's just dog-eat-dog. That's individualistic. That's yours. You want them to live up to your world, your expectations. And if God treated the earth like that, he wouldn't even send his son. He's just waiting for us to straighten up. And nobody has hope. I'm not living that way anymore. And I'm saying to you, please don't live that way anymore. Settle in your heart and say, you know what? And even if it tries to rise up, I'm going to kill it every time. Even if I find myself tempted. Even if I'm walking in it for 15 minutes and go, whoa, don't get condemned. Just run to God. Wow, you got a truth working in me. You're changing me. I'm seeing men through your eyes. I am destined and determined to grow up into you in all things. Let's stop writing ourselves off as just some hopeless fallen flesh waiting to plead the blood by 10 o'clock in the morning. Hello? And then stop thinking that's heresy and arrogance. Wonder if it's life in the spirit. Wonder if it's life in the spirit. Wonder if it's living by faith. Look, if you live in the spirit, you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. That is not my sermon. That is in the Bible. Romans 8, what do you do with that? Yeah, but brother, we're always weak and frail. We're always going to mess up. Maybe we always fail because we think that's what we are. Maybe if you wake up and see you're a son and give yourself to righteousness, maybe your testimony and expression will change. Maybe grace will actually kick in and empower you to live what you were never able to live on your own with wrong believing. Woo! I'm glad the biscuit's off, buddy. You see why I get that way? I got a lot in me. You can't put a biscuit on my nose and say, stay. Doesn't work, Tom. Doesn't work. You're right. I'm... Phew, I'm glad you let me get up here. Do you imagine if he'd have made me sit there much longer? I'd have just knocked the biscuit off and came. I'd have bit Tom and I'd have preached. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Nope, I was willing to sit. Here's what I pray. I say, Lord, I don't draw a thing. I don't, I don't need to be in there with a microphone. Yes, my heart's exploding. Listen. I'm going to minister to someone somewhere, somewhere along the way. You're not going to suppress light. You're not going to shut it down. It's, you don't put a basket over your head, guys. You shine without trying. Love is evangelistic. I'm not trying to evangelize. I, I'm not. That's so much pressure on people. Well, i got to evangelize. I need to reach out. Love is evangelistic. Love reaches out. You just sit down on an airplane. I do it all the time. People say, hey, man, how you doing? They say it rhetorically, just figuring you go, hey, hanging in there, bud. I'm not rhetorical. So if they say, how you doing, I'm going to tell them. Dude, I'm glad you asked, man. get out of that little hole in the I've never seen anybody go through it I've actually never seen anybody try they look they go well you're really passionate well I say really oh my goodness I'm sorry you see passion (laughs) yeah a little bit I'm actually trying to call myself suppress it so I don't freak you out my goal was to not freak you out I didn't freak you out did I no I'm just telling you really serious about what you're saying oh man you have no idea he changed my life and all of a sudden, you'll give me a little word, a little direction for them, a little insight, a little secret, something. Not, not, not something that'll condemn them. Next thing you know, they'll shake, they'll cry, they'll tremble. It happens all the time. I say, can I just pray with you? Can I bless you? You just sit on the plane. Boy, that sure beats. wonder if my connection's going to make it. wonder if I'm going to be on time. wonder if I'm going to miss my flight. Oh, man, if I'm going to stay over in Charlotte, this is going to be so terrible. <laughs> Hello, or oh my gosh! I thought I did. I I selected an aisle seat. Why am I in the middle? God, what did I do? Self-centered, self-focused, deception, fruitless mindsets. Who cares where you sit? He's in you. You know what I do to this day? Do you know how many miles I have flying? I get a few. So they want to treat you like red carpet, status, 
You be careful with status. You know the mind that was in Jesus? He made himself of no reputation. Isn't it amazing? We've all been seeking reputation. And he made himself of none. It's amazing how we seem to have everything backwards. He says, have this same mind in you that was found in him, who even though he was considered equal with God, didn't consider it something to be honored and acknowledged for. Instead, he made himself of no reputation. Humbled himself, laid down his life, Merle, to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God stepped in and exalted him high above every name, every name that will ever be named, and every knee and every tongue is going to bow, confess, earth, above the earth, earth, under the earth, that he, in fact, is the Lord. And then right after he declares him the highest name above every name, he says, you, therefore, ties you together and makes you one. Springs right off of him and says, you, therefore, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, reverence and all to God. Because it's God who works in you both to will and do for his good pleasure. Therefore, do all things. How many things? All things without grumbling or complaining. How many things? Whoa, this is a good message right here. Why? Why? So you can be seen. As innocent, harmless children in the midst of a twisted world that has it backwards that you used to be a part of. And all of a sudden they see that you're not a self-centered person. All of a sudden you see you're not self-consumed, self-centered, self-focused, self-justified, self-defending, self-protecting. Because when you live that way, it's at the expense of another. And love lays down its life for all. That's just solid. Man, you know, in 2 Peter 1, you know what it says? You and I have exceedingly, exceedingly, that means more than enough. It's all covered. It's more than enough. Exceedingly great and precious promises by which, through them, you and I partake of his divine nature. You don't have exceedingly great and precious promises to assure full vats and full barns. That's what we preach. And all your provisions and all your needs met. Because then the persons that are seeking to get their needs met don't think they're met well enough. So the whole time they're waiting to have joy when their needs are met. They don't have joy in between. They're wondering why I did wrong. How come you're not meeting my needs? How come I never got a raise? God, what am I doing to block the blessing? And they pursue their whole life getting something from God instead of becoming something because of God. Paul said whether I have enough or not, I never change. Nothing moves me. I've learned how to be the same no matter what's going down around me. He got it. And I'm reading that and I'm getting it and going, wow. Ain't that something? This is what we're called to. It says that we partake of his divine nature. Exceedingly great and precious promises that assure we partake of his divine. See, that's what it's all about. His divine nature coming into us. Wow, because I was void of that before. All I could do was think for myself. Even when I didn't like myself, I wanted you to and I needed you to. Even when I was disappointed at myself, I still had a survival mode. I still had control in my life. Even when I didn't like who I was, I still controlled my family. Expected the world of them. I used to, I'd be a dad to go to work. I felt like in my heart, my wife and my kids owed me everything because I got up and went to work and I was the one that provided it all. And that just made it my little kingdom and my little castle and my little subjects. Boy, that doesn't sound like covenant and family to me. It doesn't sound like Jesus even remotely. But that's how I lived. And he walked into that mess one day and said, Psst, I don't even know if God's real. See, that was my problem. On that day, I'd have told you I was a Christian because I grew up in church. Because I knew that Jesus died on the cross for the remission of my sins. I could have quoted it. If you'd have handed me a track on that day, I'd have smiled and said, Hey, man, thanks. I'm already Christian. He died on the cross for remission of my sins. I appreciate you caring. I'd turn the corner and go, Oh, brother. That's exactly what I'd have done. I might have really played it up and said, Hey, why don't you give me two or three of them? Maybe I'll pass them out on my way to the car. And I'd jump. I'm just telling you, that was me. And then he dealt with the biggest problem in my life. I didn't know him. He changed that. Changed me. Now you got to deal with me. <laughs> Try to lock me in a closet or crucify me on a cross. But Life's a gift, guys. 
You and I both have it. It's this gift called life. Righteousness is a gift. Open it. It's under your tree. It has your name on it. Open the gift and put on how he sees you through his son. Because you were made to wear it. It fits you perfect. It's the perfect size. It fits you perfect. Put it on and look good to him. So you start looking good to you. And ultimately, you'll look good to others. And better yet, you'll see them the way you're seeing yourself. And you'll realize if he sees you this way, he sees everybody this way. And all of a sudden, the guy on the airplane's not a bother to me. All of a sudden, my seat doesn't mean a thing. I was telling you a story about my status and my mom's. To this day, I don't computer select my seats. I let the computer sit me. So when I check in, I don't claim any seats. So sometimes because the computer recognizes my fly miles and my status, they'll put me in a certain seat. But a lot of times, I'll be way in the back. I'll be close to the Jiffy John or in the middle. And I wouldn't have to be. I just don't ever want status to have a voice in my life. I just, I'm not afraid of that. I just don't need convenience. Because I could care less sitting in the middle seat. I got somebody on both sides. I can have two people ask me how I'm doing. <laughs> See, it's a little concerning to me when you always have to have the best, the biggest, and you earned it, and you got to have this seat because you flew the miles and you earned your miles. And then they tell all the fortunate frequent flyer guys with their diamond statuses and all their emerald statuses and all their jewel statuses to line up on the red carpet and then they, all the commoners and pagans come over here in the blue <laughs> and get the less preferred seats, preferred customers. Do you hear how you're around that your whole life? And nothing about the kingdom is anything like that. It's the total opposite. It's, it's lower yourself. Make yourself lower than somebody. It's come up under. It's serve, give, bless. And the world's the total opposite. So I don't, pick, I don't pick my seats on an airplane just because. I don't no need to. If you care less where I sit, I'm glad to be on the plane. Yeah? You don't know how many times I give up my seat. I, I, I had the best seat. I had the best seat, man. It was a whole way to LAX. The whole way to LAX. I'm flying uh, from Baltimore. It's east coast to west coast. It's a long, it's four hours, 45 minutes. I looked on the ticket and I went, Lord, that's amazing. You gave me that seat? I didn't even pick that seat. It was 10A. I knew the plane I was flying. I knew what seat it was. It's right behind the bulkhead of first class. It's a small living room. <laughs> like, it's like a one-room apartment. Like, you can stretch out and not touch anything. And this plane has a little hump on the wall. It's a little, it's a hump. You put your foot up there. You're against the window. A is the window. You just roll up your little jacket and you Four hours and 45 minutes. I'm in a small living room. So I'm rolling in there. I'm like, Lord, this is awesome. I turn the corner. There's this fellow from India. He's sitting in my seat. The little ladies, I know they're from India. She had their little red things on their foreheads painted. And they, he was in my seat. Well, that don't fly well with some folks. They're like, but I saw he's in my seat. And I did that common thing. You know, you look and you think, I know. I backed up and I looked at the... I'm like, this is definitely 10A. And my mind's going, he's in 10A. And I said, I just wanted to make sure I had the right seat. I'm in 10A. He said, I, I am not to sit here. He said, I, I was hoping whoever would sit here would let me have this seat so I could stay with my family. It's very broken English. I know what most people that fly, they got 10A to LAX. Look, dude, appreciate your situation. That's my seat. <laughs> I said, not a problem to me, but I'm, I'm glad to keep your family together. You guys have a great flight. Where's your seat? He said, 30E. <laughs> Binoculars out. It's back there. I'm making my way back there. I get to 30E. I'm not being crude. I'm not being rude. I'm not, I'm not demeaning people. The plane doesn't know. They don't ask your weight your size when they book seats. There's two ladies in 30F, or I was in E, D and F. There was a lady in F and a lady in D. There's no way I could put the armrest down on either side and I could see that much of my seat. Both ladies were way bigger than their seat. And I got the middle. <laughs> so I went from 10A 
to 30E <laughs> with two very large bodies. But they're women. They're precious to God, right? So I'm not like, man, this was a demotion. Boy, what did I do, Lord, to deserve this? I feel like I'm being prejudged. <laughs> nope, I went right back, and I'm just social, and I said, hey, ladies. I smiled them because I could tell they're already uncomfortable because they're sitting there looking at each other, feeling nervous about their size. They're already self-conscious, and they know they're bigger than the seat, and now the other lady's bigger than her seat, and they know somebody's got to sit right there. And it was me. <laughs> and I just come, and I said, hey, girls. I said, I guess we're going to be flying together. I need to get in there, all right? And they're like, okay. I said, no, we'll be fine. We'll just be close and intimate. And I smiled. I turned, and I just, I just got in there. I didn't even, I couldn't use the armrest, so I just propped on them. I said, I hope you girls don't mind. It's a long flight. We'll just be close. And they're giggling and laughing. I, I bring Jesus up right away. Look, years ago, I might have been troubled by this Jesus. Girls, he changed my life. I just love people. This is all going to be good. This will work out. I'm telling you, between you and me, I stayed warm the whole way to LA. I was just nice, cozy. Woo! So on my way home, I'm on my way home from LAX back home. Lady calls me, same flight on the way back, calls me to the desk. I thought, I wonder why they called me. They must do an upgrade or something. Because that happens. They upgrade you. They give you a new ticket. Hey, we're sitting here. Well, there was no upgrade in a sense of what we think an upgrade is. But to me, it was an upgrade. I ran over there and I said, hey, I said, I'm Dan. She said, Mr. Moeller, are you flying alone? I said, well, yeah. I should have said no. <laughs> I said, yeah, I knew what she meant. I just helping her out. I said, yeah, I'm traveling by myself. She said, sir, you, you have a very good seat. You ain't gonna believe this. Guess what seat I had on the way home? A Zachary. So I had 10A on the way out. I got 10A on the way back, and I looked, and I looked at my boarding pass, and I went, Lord, you're too funny. You're, like, giving me that seat back. I'm going to just, because I run hard all weekend and stuff, and now I'm flying, and I'm just going to probably chill unless somebody asks me how I'm doing. Pull the cord. So I'm standing there at the desk, and she said, we have a situation, sir, and there's a family. I said, you want to keep them together? Do you need my seat to keep? She said, well, that's, I said, done deal. Just put me in another seat. Honey, that's a no-brainer. Keep the family. She said, well, sir, you didn't even ask what seat I had for you. I said, does it matter? She went, she's a gate agent. She's around people that fly all the time. People that have status and have rights. She went, does it matter? I would think. I said, honey, it doesn't matter at all what seat I'm sitting in. I'm just glad to keep the family together. You put me wherever. She said, well, sir, that is a very different attitude right there. And, <laughs> and I looked at her and I said, I bet it is. I said, do you think it should be? I said, it shouldn't be a strange attitude. I said, do you know where I got it? She said, no. She said, I'm actually taken back by your generosity and how easy you are. And you don't care what seat you're in because people really care about their seat. I said, honey, do you know where I got this concept? She said, no. I said, a long time ago. Man, I was in a seat. It was the most undesirable seat. And I said, this guy took my seat and gave me his. And he had the best seat there ever was. There couldn't be a better seat. And he took my undesirable seat and put me in his seat, his favored, desired seat. She said, She's, she's, I got her so sucked in on this. She's just, she got the sinker down in. She's ready to digest the sinker, man, before I even hooked her. I got her, man. And she's just, she's dialed in. She's looking. She's like, she's trying to follow the story. I'm wondering who it was. Where. And I said, honey, his name's Jesus. He's my king. I love him so much. She went. That was the most beautiful analogy. She filled with tears. She says, you know, talking to you makes me want to cry. I said, he makes me cry a lot, honey. I said, do you know what else could make me cry? In a very heartfelt way. I said, you look around. How many of these people do you think go to church that are on this plane? And yet, wouldn't be what you saw in me. I said, we should be able to give up anything. He gave it all up. Nothing's ours.
I said, you think how many of these people, I'm not being judgmental right now, I'm just talking broad. How many people on that plane attend church? Here's what I've learned. It's a Sunday morning, right? Look, it's not condemning. Don't, don't weigh it too deep. Watch what I'm saying. Church attendance will never change the earth. It's becoming love has to. You can fill every seat in every church in this country today, and it won't change a thing unless we become love. Going to church will never change the world. You and I being changed will have to start somewhere, huh? Now that's the difference. One's religion, one's man paying homage to God, and the other one's God taking over man's life to become what he paid for. It should be a small thing to give my seat on the plane. Yeah? Yeah. Just a little practical story. Just happened. It's not that old. I was slid in my seat. Hey, girls. It's good. It's fun when you're not self-conscious. When you're not self-conscious, there's no fear of man. There's no self-consciousness. Some people wouldn't, don't even have a clue what it would be like to live like that. I'll tell you how you get that way. You get alone with God, you close the door. And you thank God that you're precious and valuable in his sight. That you're special to him. And that he loves you for who he created you to be. And you start thinking, God, you don't have nothing to measure up to. No pressure in your life. God, I'm going to start here. I'm going to stay here. And I'm going to live from this wellspring. I'm telling you, God, I used to be under the pressure. You could say this if this was your reality. I used to feel like I had to look a certain way, be a certain way, draw a certain attention. I'm done with all that. That has led me on a rat race of up and down living. God, I'm just blessed to be here with you, with the one that loves me and sees me for who I really am and created to be. And God, in this place, you're going to mold me and shape me and cause me to become everything you desire. You start talking to God like that and spending time with him and get to know him a little. It'd be like Chad and I just taking a drive every day, hanging out every day. Man, a month from now, I bet we'd really get to know each other. Yeah? I bet two months from now, we'd really get to know each other. Why is it any different with the Lord? It's possible in today's Christian society, Christian ringtone, screensaver, music, T-shirt, and bumper sticker, and never commune with them from the heart. I've pastored for quite a few years, and I ask a lot of questions when I do personal stuff. And I ask people what their lives look like, and I tell them it's not a quiz. I just need to learn so I know how to help you. And I found this to be true. A super large percent of Christian people have never, when they're all alone, communed with God and just thanked him that he loves them and values them and sees them precious in his sight. They haven't even thought that way when they're alone, let alone commune it with God. And that right there will change your life. Yeah? Yeah. What time is it? Ooh. Lord Jesus. I blew the first service by 10 minutes. I blew the second one by. It'll be 10. I know. I'm, I just, yeah. You're so good, man. It's, it's, it's so important. Can we... Can we can we have can we have five minutes? Will you let Second Timothy? If no, that's beautiful, man. I was just going to quit because I told them I need to stop. Or they told me to stop at a certain time, and they gave me ten extra minutes and said go to twelve thirty. And I'm like, I got zeros on the board, man. Every time I look up, I just straight zero 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 zero. I'm out of hours, minutes, and seconds. That's that's zero. Verse ten. I can't just read there because it's a therefore. I don't like to start with a therefore. You've got to know what it's there for. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Paul is just talking. He's talking to Timothy. He's talking about him and trusting this gospel to faithful men. And he's talking about how the kingdom works. He's talking about patience. He's talking about the farmer and the, the, the first fruits of your increase and partaking of the crops. And he's just, it's all good if you take the time to read it. But what I want you to see in verse 10, that Paul says he endures. Who knows that Paul went through some sufferings and hardship? Who knows that when Paul talks about perils, it's a pretty serious list. Who knows in 2 Corinthians 4, when he talks about the things that he suffered for the gospel, we look at that and think, that is intense. And guess what he calls it? And you know he believed it or he wouldn't have kept going through it and kept on running well. He called it a brief moment of light affliction. Compared to 
It wasn't that it was a brief moment of light affliction. It was a brief moment of light affliction. I'm in 2 Corinthians 4 now. We're getting to 2 Timothy. Why? A brief moment of light affliction compared to the eternal weight of his glory when he comes. So what's faith doing? Faith is living for that day. Faith is living for that day. And faith is saying, I am not going to take life personal. I've taken the gospel personal. I'm loving not my own life unto death because that's how we overcome. I'm not seeking my own. I'm seeking his kingdom. I'm not living for me. I'm living for him and others. I ain't letting none of this stuff move me. Right? Because why? Paul knew we're in a race. He wrote about it a lot. He knew we have a destiny to fulfill. It's a calling. Don't just say it's Paul because he's a leader. He told us to follow his example and others that live this way. And he's always cheering people to live just like he had conviction to live. True? Therefore, he says, therefore, in verse 10, I endure all things. You think he'd shift spiritual and say for the sake of Christ. I endure all. Wouldn't it sound perfect? Therefore, I endure all things for the sake of Christ. Wouldn't that sound perfect? But what's he say? Huh? Watch. Watch. Let me just paraphrase it for you. He says, for the sake of the elect. He says, therefore, I endure all things for the sake of the people. What's he have on his mind? The message his life is sending to others. And that he does everything in his power to let his life be an added encouragement to everything he's writing. And I want them to be able to look at my life and see that I'm not weary and well-doing. I'm not discouraged. I'm not a broken man. I'm not a hurt man. I'm not jaded. I endure all things. Because the people that are watching my life, it matters. And I want my life to speak truth. That's integrity. He's called every one of us to that. You're not always a follower. In more cases than not, you're a leader because there's light in you and light is greater than darkness. Yeah. So guess what Paul said? And I was going to spring to a couple other scriptures off of that, but that's a good one. I'm glad you stopped me on it. I endure all things for the sake of the elect, the people that are watching. So my life isn't just a message preached, but an example lived. Yeah. Listen, why would people care what you say if they can't see what you say in your life? And why would they want what you say if they can't see what you say in your life? Wouldn't it be amazing to just live him and people come up to you and say, what is it about you? Like, man, I've been watching you at work here for the last three, four weeks. I just like, man, What's going on with you? Like, how are you this way? Or how come you're not? And I noticed last week when everybody was, you were different. And you, how come? That's the stuff that would be so fun, huh? People just notice you in a crowd without you trying to be noticed or wanting to be noticed. That's the difference. Our whole life we've been seeking reputation. Jesus makes himself of none and people throng him. I bet he's on to something. He must know the truth. Maybe he is the truth. So we're going to follow him, okay? I didn't preach half the stuff I thought I was going to preach. I don't know. He said he has things through worship. He thinks he's going to say. He gets up here and doesn't say any of it. I know exactly how that is. I get up here and don't even have a clue what I'm doing half the time. The stuff I feel like I need to say, it just disappears and all the stuff comes. But here's what we're going to do. We're just going to close in prayer. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to believe that today you can receive a grace to live this way because you're willing. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to release this faith to me, uh, or to God when I pray. Uh, not to me, to, to God. Watch this. I want you to release this faith. That you know what? I'm going to position myself to begin to be molded by God, get close to God and know God like never before and have intimacy and relationship with him so that he keeps making me what he paid for and what he desires so that people would see my life without me even trying hard. And that my attitudes, my disposition, my expression would matter in the eyes of men. I'm going to endure all things for the sake of the people so they have a living example in me. If you'd be willing to say yes to that, I'm going to believe grace will start you on a journey. Don't think that's too far off and too hard and don't think it'll take too long and won't make much of a difference. Are you kidding me? Watch this. You might not be called to preach like I preach and you might not be plastered all over YouTube and people put you all over YouTube like they've done me. But you take all that away before anybody, before there was even a YouTube. 
I look at my life, just one man that walked to work one day and was so lost and had no clue. And he met me there and I thought it was my mind. He said, you don't even know God's real. I responded, I cried. I said, I need to know you. He came, revealed himself. Just before there was even a YouTube, I just think up until the first four, five, six, eight years, I just think of all the impact. It's a big deal when he saves and changes life. It's a big deal when your cup's full and you always have something to give. That's how you know you're in a right spiritual place when you always have something to give. Why? Because your cup's running over. Does it look like I'm a weary preacher? Does it look like I have nothing to give? Probably the last one. I kept these guys here late just sitting talking to everybody that wanted to say hi. I love what I get to do. I love what I've become. I love who he is and I love you. It makes it pretty simple. Come on, guys. Your one life can make so much difference that people in the end of time could say, I'm so glad they knew him because they knew him. I got to know him. Yeah? Yeah? I'm so glad they weren't an empty cup because when I needed, they were right there and it empowered me. And and I'll never forget. I remember when I got ordained as a pastor, I was two years old in the Lord. Two years old in the Lord. I got ordained by our church as a pastor. It would have been like me just coming here, getting saved, and the body saying, we want him on staff. And the board and my pastor said, we want him as one of the pastors in this church. Never been to a day of Bible school in my life. And they, we had a Saturday ordination. They did it at our prayer time at 6 in the morning. 120 people showed up. We thought it was hilarious. It was 100, well, it was 119 and a pregnant woman. <laughs> she had a big round belly. And we said, 120! Because we were trying to get upper room number, you know? We were like, we're one short. Who can we call? We said, wait, she's pregnant. Yeah! <laughs> at 120. But it was so humbling. They sat my wife and me and my children on a chair And they were going to pray over us. And here's what they did. My pastor said, so humbling. It just makes you cry. I don't even know why I'm trying to get into it because I don't want to get all mushy and messy on you. I'll fight it off. This stuff matters. Just surrender. It's just all the kingdom of God. Seek first. He said, does anybody want to honor God in Dan's life? We're going to bring him on as a pastor. Does anybody want to share their heart or say thank you to him or what? His life, his conversion has meant to us as a body or to you as a family. It went on. It went on for, I think it was two hours. And person after person stood up, looked at me, looked at my wife, looked at me, and cried and shared how our lives in two years have impacted and made total difference in their lives. And I'm just sitting there sobbing and sobbing and sobbing. And he just went on and on. And I thought, Just one little conversion, one person. How do you measure when you put that in God's hand? How do you measure the multiple? I think sometimes our view is so limited because we just think it's just us. My life doesn't really matter. We've been tricked into that our whole lives. And insignificant, and my life doesn't make a difference. If I wasn't here after a while, nobody would even notice. People think that stuff. It's lies from hell. You get filled with Jesus. People will notice. Yeah? So I want to pray this over you. And I want to pray and believe that this happens across this room in all of our lives that we see that we all have significance, that we all have the same price tag, so we all must have the same value. Look, I am no more important. A leader, a pastor, an apostolic guy, a prophetic guy is no more important than anyone in this room. The same price was paid for all. God uses people differently, but everyone has the same value or the price wouldn't be the same. Yeah? So, Father, I just pray right now in this house for a grace to come on us. A grace to know you. To be hungry to know you. Man, that's good. A grace to be hungry to know you. If that's you, you just whisper in your heart. He knows your heart, but do it for your own conscience, your own soul's sake. He already knows your heart. But but go ahead and whisper in your heart, I want to know you. And I want to know you more. Acknowledge that. Let him know. Let your conscience know. You know what? I'm going after you like never before. I'm going to be with you, God, like Dan and Chad's example in the car. I'm just going to drive with you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to begin to seek you. I'm going to find you. I'm going to run smack into God reality. So, Father, I just pray that right now there be a hunger to know you. And I pray that your grace would come on us to keep molding and shaping our lives. Make us solid as the rock that we're standing on. 
and dig our wells deep and let the purest water flow out of our lives that men have ever drank. Do it right here in us, God. We're asking you to make us rock solid, unmovable, unshakable, brief moments, light affliction. Yeah, let Roy and Patty look back someday and say, you know what? The brief moment of light affliction, super real, our own flesh and blood, our little baby girl. But looking at the eternal weight of your glory and your purpose and your kingdom reality, man, brief moments of light affliction compared to the big picture of it all. We're walking through. We're finding grace. We won't be disheartened. We won't be discouraged. We will not be deceived. We're coming after you, God. I pray it right now in this house, and I pray that everyone would have the courage, the faith, and the strength to say yes, Lord, and to let who you are in them matter more than anything. I bless every heart, every family, and I ask your grace in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen, God.